praying that I leave the streets alone. Preacher praying that I leave the reef alone. I'm just getting money, leave the beef alone. But I'm out here thugging in my teeth alone. Throw up my set, they get upset. They coming at me in direct, they sending threats. I'm busting out life in effect, no internet. I start the cursing like Tourette's or like Shaq West. Two corner period just for text, bust down my neck. Diamond VV water Fiji, flooded with baguettes. Beretta Draco kicks, cream I click but crip my set. For son of money, gang got ripped. Up and stuff like elevators, all my niggas. Take the steps, sprung my ankle, broke my toe. Ripping and stepping for my bro. Flexing, capping for them hoes. Kick those, we crash like Geico. Carbon rifle, now that pussy bleeding like he on the cycle. 4G auto, chopping blades, speeding. Maxo Michael Myers. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 76 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right, it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds where Wherever you get your podcasts please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to share your supports and of course join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on twitter and instagram at two black nerds we appreciate that love y'all and let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at two black go check out our two black symbiotes collection inspired by venom let there be carnage we got t-shirts crew necks hoodies stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be reviewing three new films from some of the most celebrated auteurs in Hollywood, including Edgar Wright's psychological horror film, Last Night in Soho, and Wes Anderson's anthology film, The French Dispatch. Also, we have a bunch of new trailers to discuss for some upcoming 2022 films, such as Uncharted and Lightyear. Plus, there are some big rumors about new films in Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's show with the review of the long-awaited epic science fiction film, Dune. My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? A boy. <laughs> Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always. You know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. Put on some muscle? I did? No. We are a house of Trades. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House of Trades accepts! I know you. There's only a way in my mind. You need to face your fears. Come with me. You need to be ready. You've never met Harkonnens before. They're not human, they're brutal. 
Duke's son sees too much. This is I do. Kill them all. God in heaven. Get everything with guns off the ground! Go! This is an extermination. They're taking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. Dad, what if I'm not the future of House Atreides? A great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. But if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. If anything happens, will you protect Paul with my life? Only together can we stand a chance. Now, this film is directed by Denis Villeneuve, and it's written by John Spates, Denis Villeneuve, and Eric Roth, and it's starring an ensemble cast of Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Zendaya, Chang Chin, Sharon Duncan Brewster, Charlotte Rampling, Jason Momoa, and Javier Bardem. Now, Dune has not been adapted just this one time this novel has been adapted before it's actually based Mm -hmm. off of the 1965 novel from frank herbert one of the most critically acclaimed science fiction novels of all time dune's been adapted twice before we had a 1984 film from david lynch which came out not that well received didn't do all that well it adapted the entire first book and then there was another opportunity that came along to adapt dune which happened in 2000 There was a sci-fi channel miniseries that came out that adapted not only the first book, but also the subsequent two books as well. But both of those attempts didn't go over that well with audiences. I've heard Mm -hmm. positive things about the miniseries. I haven't seen it myself, but it's mostly been something that's been considered unadaptable, something that just can't be put onto screen. It's one of the most challenging books in terms Mm -hmm. of science fiction that's been considered to be out there. And again, it's one of the most critically acclaimed and hugely influential to many different science fiction interpretations and further movies and novels and things that have come out in the past 50 plus years. But here we are in 2021. We have a brand new Dune film from one of the most acclaimed filmmakers working today Denis Villeneuve he took his stab at it he made his effort and he put it out in theaters and on HBO Max simultaneously so with all of that out the way man let's go ahead and get into it what did you think about Dune man the reason again these other Dunes have just struggled is because of the time allotted allotted to anything right the 1984 Dune the the book itself there's just so much context all the time. There's so much world building all the time. There's so many conversations happening left and right. There's a lot of characters happening left and right. And it's how can we possibly tell this story um, in, in the amount of time we have. But I'm actually still surprised that the 1984 Dune like attempted to do the entire book. It's like what... Like whose idea was that? I don't know. Like maybe like part twos or you know what I mean? More than one movie wasn't an idea at the time. Maybe they were like, we only have one chance to do this, so we gotta do it, you know, and, and we 
you know, there's nothing else we can do about that. But here we are, man. And this boy didn't even know. I don't even know where to start, to be honest, because <laughs> uh, just just up front, bro, this is it might be my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, I'm a huge Denny Villeneuve fan. Uh, it's uh, people have heard me spill about 2049 several times <laughs> on this podcast, man. Uh, I, but you know, there's there's other films he's made that I just I just get him. I think, and I love the way his attention to detail, his love for the craft, just translates so much. And I think Dune for him was different being able to go back to his childhood which he again expresses that he read the book um when he was like 14 years old or whatever um and and you can see that in every part of 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 dune this dune um because his attention to detail was there uh the the story again it's it feels so um infinite when you read the book you're like man this is insane but i think in order to be able to convey um the world the way that frank herbert would have wanted the world to be uh, uh interpreted is a very hard thing to do but i think denny did the best that he could here and i think it would i think he it's great i really do i think i think it works it all works sure there's a couple things missing in the story right but it works and and i was able to follow along some people say some parts are slow, and I'm like, but for me it wasn't, and I and I, I could be biased in that. Um, both me and you have been reading slash audio booking, you know, the book, and I think I'm like, okay, so how is this going to be translated? Even in the even in the, what the parts people call slow, I'm still alert, you know, like looking for for certain things and things um, that I enjoyed. On top of that, I mean, more than anything, this is a technological marvel. It is beautiful top to bottom. One of the craziest things about Dune is it's uh, uh, futuristic in time, but not necessarily too much in technology. Um, and to be able to do that with the color grading and still make it look futuristic with a lot of the choices being made by a lot of the practical effects um, and, and CGI, all of it just all comes together so beautifully. Um, and I think they just chose everything right. They chose, I think they chose the direct, I mean, the actors right. They chose the shots right, where the, where they shot. It, they just got it. And I was just in the theater just like, yeah, like he gets it. Um, and again, people, I, 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 even the hardcore Dune fans, I know some of them love it, but a lot of them still criticize some of the parts that are missing in the film, mm -hmm. right? Like, but you just can't. Like, I, the fact there's going to be a part one and now, you know, part two is happening, it, in my mind is like, we won. <laughs> and I think that that's what people should take. We won. Like we got more than one part by an amazing director, an amazing cast, and it, it's being translated almost as best that can be translated. Um, and I think we should take that and run with it, man. But but Dune is really amazing. Um, I I could speak on his praises all day. Like I I just hasn't like this year has been a, a underwhelming year for movies. Let's just call it what it is. Absolutely. We, we have left the movie several times together and just been like, I guess, or <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, just like, where's that thing? And I think Dune, I walked out like, finally, like I just like exhaled when I left the theater. Like finally something has happened in cinema that just made me excited again. Um, and Denny Villeneuve does that constantly for me personally. Um, so yeah, I, I'm gonna continue to sing Dune's praises. I love it. Um, and yeah, man, I'm gonna leave it there and turn it over to you. 
the desert power is in full effect. Dune does in fact deliver, thankfully, because this was one of the one of the ones that I was looking forward to the most, one of the movies that I was very much anticipating, but also something that I was very fearful of, just because mm-hmm. we've also talked off off air, off of the podcast, just about how difficult this 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 content is, this book is. And again, it's been largely considered to be unadaptable for the longest time. It's one of those books that you just shouldn't touch because it's so difficult to translate it on screen and to make all these things make sense in the terminology and the the the, the religious alliterations that happen, the scientific mm-hmm. evolutions that happen all throughout it. It's just it's a complex book, you know, and I think that um, for a lot of people coming to this who aren't familiar with the story, they might have a little bit of an issue understanding what exactly is about. But I'm here to tell you that this is worth watching. It's absolutely translated in such such a beautiful fashion on screen. And Denis Villeneuve coming into this project, this has been considered his dream project. And he, he's gone on record to say that he don't he, he doesn't think that he would have been able to direct this movie without his previous films, such as Arrival and Blade Runner 2049, both incredibly, incredibly beautiful scientific um, sci-fi films that he's done. And to have those sort of trial runs to go with these bigger science fiction films before Dune to then tackle, you know, probably the most gargantuan thing that you can really tackle is uh, (laughs) is definitely admirable on his part. And for me, just to look at him as a filmmaker, I mean, the audacity that you have to have to be able to step up to the plate and say, I'm going to make this work. This has largely been something that has not worked in the past. We've tried it before, but I'm going to take take the source material, put a different spin on it, put my own unique take on it, and I'm going to make it work. And it translate in it translates into a movie that I consider to be a singular experience. And mm-hmm. even more specifically, it becomes a singular experience in a movie theater. But even more specifically than that, it becomes a singular experience in IMAX. Because seeing this movie mm-hmm. and the way that it was seen in IMAX, the way that it was shot, is really unlike anything else that I've experienced in such a long time. Just the beauty of all of the shots, it's really an interstellar tour de force in terms of just the visual representation of what they do. And beyond the technical achievements of it, beyond the visual look of it, there's just massive ambition here. And that has to be applauded because we're dealing with not only just something that was technically difficult to pull off, incredibly hard to make, but it also has very dense and heady themes all throughout it. Mm -hmm. Like this is a story about colonialism and it's about religion and and messianic figures and even further so like white saviors and what that looks like to, to a different community at that time which there's a lot to pull from in future novels about that that I've you know sort of been hinted at um, that, that that's still to come that we'll hopefully see in future movies. But there's just so many different themes and the way that it was just able to be disseminated and then also made accessible, I think, for modern audiences is just really commendable because, again, that book is something that just probably isn't for everybody. And they turned it into a script that I feel like most general audiences can consume and be satisfied with and understand really what the nature of the story is. Um, you talked about just how it looks in the gorgeous you know, cinematography behind it. Greg Frazier, um, who we just shouted out recently on the podcast, what he did here is just staggering it's mesmerizing it's hypnotic i was i was literally transfixed like watching this for for a long time like some like i saw it twice and like the second time i wasn't even fully paying attention to everything that was happening on screen outside of the visual stuff because i'm just like look at this and you know seeing it on a 70 foot tall imax screen it was just again a singular experience that i haven't had in such a long time um and and also want to point out hans zimmer on the score is oh, just man completely oh, going going crazy and going wild. Right. This was also a dream project for him. You know, Hans Zimmer has talked about how he 
turned down working with Chris Nolan, one of his longtime collaborators. He turned down mm-hmm. working on Tenet so that he can work on Dune because this has been considered a dream project for him. And just everything he does with the music here, it's bombastic. It's loud. Like with the go see it with the loudest speakers possible because it's it's actually oh, overwhelming at times. Um, and 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 how just incredible the music is. And he even created instruments specifically mm-hmm. for this movie to achieve certain sounds. Like he's he's really you know flexing his muscle and and, and expanding his talent to do something that he just hasn't done before because it doesn't sound like a traditional quote unquote Hans Zimmer score. It sounds something. Mm-hmm. That's very unique and specific to this film. Um, so all in all, this is easily one of my favorite movies of the year. I think it's one of the best movies of the year. It's yeah. easily going to be in contention for plenty of awards come come award season. Um, when the Academy Award nominations roll out, this is, I think, a shoe in for all the technical stuff. Not only nominations, but I'd, I'd say go ahead and just call it for wins because yeah. production design, cinematography, visual effects, it's, the seamless merging of visual effects here. Like is. It's one of the best uses of visual effects, if we're being honest. Like, you don't even notice that there are visual effects in this movie. That's how well they, how well utilized they are. Um, it's not a perfect movie, but I do think that, uh, you and you alluded to this, that it might be the best and most perfect adaptation of that book that we'll ever get. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know how you could do any better than this. You know, mm-hmm. if in 50 years they decide to revisit Dune again, I don't, know, I don't know how you can do better than what we're getting right now. Um, you know, for me, I do think I, the, the runtime is, is it, it is a it is a factor. You know, this is a part one of a story um, of a two part story. The runtime is a factor. I do think that there are times where you can kind of lose a little bit of focus and fall out of it at times. Like I, I, I do acknowledge mm-hmm. that. And I noticed that more so in my second viewing than the first viewing that after like the first 90 minutes, which the first 90 minutes are probably perfect. Like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if I would change anything about the first hour and a half of this movie, to be honest with you. Um, there's a little bit of a time, like, we spent about, like, 20 minutes in a chopper. That might have been able to cut down just a little bit, you know? <laughs> but um, just small nitpicks about that type of stuff. I really, th- I really do think you can get swept up in this movie and, and not notice it. And obviously, the ending of it is not a true ending. You know, for those who don't know, this is... This is just a part one of a story, so it doesn't really feel like an ending. They kind of they kind of went Lord of the Rings on it, you know, at the end Absolutely. there, where we're mm-hmm. just gonna walk and the journey will continue. You know, see us see, see you in two years. Um, but listen, I, this this is the way to go. I think I don't I don't I I would not have done a longer movie. Um, I would not have tried to adapt the entire book into just one film. I think that they're mm-hmm. making the right choice here. I just wish that they would have greenlit the second one earlier because it seems yeah. like. It seems like this was always the case. Like they already have a release date in two years, October twenty twenty three. So it seems like that they were very much planning to do this. So I don't, I don't, you know, I feel like why not be in production on the second movie now so that we see it next year as opposed to in two years. That's kind of my only gripe with that. But be that as it may, this is uh, this is one of the best films of twenty twenty one, and uh, I couldn't agree with you more that it was just it was so refreshing to walk out of a theater and finally say like this this absolutely delivered and exceeded my expectations. Yeah, man, I, you know, that, that production thing is kind of weird. Uh, it's almost like, I don't know, it's almost like they were testing the waters. Like, is this going to do good as we think it's going to do or is it not going to do? Because remember, we were worried as well that like, you know, Dune, of course, it got like a a push in turn, but like we didn't know who was going to go see it. And in fact, the night, opening night, I was there. It was packed. And we've seen a lot of movies this year. I mean, Shang-Chi, it, I think it was more packed than I had seen it in a, mm-hmm. in a minute. And that really surprised me, to be honest. I, I did not see that coming. Um, so, and very pleasantly surprised. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what that was. Yeah, from what I've been reading, it, it was largely based on what happened with Blade Runner 2049, the fact mm-hmm. that that financial 
Um, yeah. It was financially just a, a failure, if we're being honest about it. It cost a lot of money. That movie was actually more expensive than Dune, as a matter of mm-hmm. fact. So they not only yeah. reduced the budget of Dune, but they also said, like, we're not greenlighting a second film until we actually get some hard numbers to see what this looks like and see what the general interest is. Because uh, wow. Blade Runner 2049, you know, his his previous film just didn't do what legendary and warner brothers expected it to do and it was really up to legendary to to, to make the decision because they are the the primary financers but thankfully it did well enough to, to to garner that second that second part that'll come out in two years because how weird would that be if we mm-hmm. <laughs> if we just got a part one and never got it but like that would be absurd and strange you know i think that that would be like the biggest pump fake in in hollywood history but um you know thankfully it will be happening i i just think that um this is something that really can be enjoyed by not only just like sci- sci-fi you know enthusiasts and sci-fi fans but really also general audiences because also you know one of the big things that, that that's a, a pull for this movie that i don't think blade runner 2049 had is this incredible cast like exactly this is a completely stacked cast and i think everybody steps up here like Mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet and Rebecca Ferguson are really the leads. Um, this is really their story specifically, and they both do a tremendous job. But I also really liked Oscar Isaac, you know, in this sort mm-hmm. of parental figure. I think that he did well. Uh, Josh Brolin's role, um, I-, I think he 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 maximizes time. Stellan Skarsgård uh, doing his best Marlon Brando Apocalypse Now impersonation, you know, yep. as, the, as the Baron. I I, mm-hmm. I loved it. You know, it was it was all exactly what I needed it to be. Um, and I'm I'm really just sort of appreciative that. We got this really incredibly diverse cast, but also just like the super talented cast. And it'll be equally as interesting to see who might join this franchise in the future, because there's definitely more characters. There's more mythology. Mm -hmm. There's there's a bigger expansion of this universe. Again, if you've read the novel or if you're familiar with this lore, there's a huge expansion. And there's also like some really dark shit ahead um, based on what Mm -hmm. I'm hearing. So it'll be interesting to see who might join this franchise in the future. It's weird seeing... um... Oh boy, without a beard. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's weird seeing uh, what's his name? B- Batista? No, it's weird seeing Jason Momoa. Oh, Jason Momoa. Beard. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he shaved the beard off here. Yeah, because for a second I was like, okay, I know this is Jason Momoa, but like, is it really? Like, I had to look at him like a couple times to like realize it's Jason Momoa. He looks completely different. It's kind of crazy what a beard can do. But yeah, it's- he does. He does look a lot different. Um. Yeah, it, yeah, we haven't seen him without a beard in quite a while. Actually, that's that's that, that's a good point that you you know, that, you, that you mentioned there. <laughs> um, but also, he's, he kind of stole the movie for me in a lot of scenes. He did a great job. Like I, I, I really. I enjoyed Jason Momoa a lot in this movie. I think that he, he absolutely star, maximized his time. And yeah, he's he's incredible. He's really found his way, and I'm really happy for him. So there's so much to like about this. I think, obviously, you can hear in, in both of our reviews that we we, re- we really love and appreciate this film. And it's definitely something that will probably continue to orbit our top 10, you know, top 15, top 20, whatever movies of this year. It really is one of the best offerings out there so with all of that said ladies and gentlemen we're going to go ahead and move on but if you've seen dune definitely hit us up and let us know what you think let's go ahead and transition and talk about the next film that we saw this past week the latest film from legendary director edgar wright last night in soho Baby, you don't know what you're saying so what brings you down then i'm studying london college of fashion the room is on the top floor it's perfect i love it if I could live any place and any time I'd live here, in London, in the 60s.
last night, I saw something in my dreams. There was a girl. And you are? Sandy. people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? It really happened. <laughs> what did you see? Leaving ghosts. I want to report a murder. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. The guy that killed her is still out there. I have to stop him. Where are you going? I know what you did. I've done a lot of things. You're gonna have to be more specific, love. You can't save me. Now, as I mentioned, this movie is directed by Edgar Wright, and it's also written by him and Christy Wilson Cairns, and it's starring Thomasin McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, and Terrence Stepp. So... The last Edgar Wright movie that came out was quite a while ago. It's been four years since mm. we've gotten Baby Driver, which was probably the surprise hit of 2017. It was such a tremendous movie. A lot of folks loved it. It really was under the radar. I don't think a lot of people were really checking out for Baby Driver, but it turned out to be a really successful and also really well-beloved film. And people definitely expected that he was going to go ahead and make a sequel to it. But instead, he did not. He actually went a different direction and decided mm -hmm. to go ahead and make another just completely original movie, this time diving into the psychological thriller horror mystery sort of realm of movie making with this new film last night in Soho. And so we definitely got a chance to check out this film. So with that said, man, what did you think about Edgar Wright's newest film? Yeah, man, Edgar Wright. I mean, he, he owns one of my favorite movies ever, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, and I love Baby Driver. I love Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. I mean, this is a person, um, another person who I've just always enjoyed the films that he makes. Um, and, you know, it, after watching Last Night in Soho and like thinking about all those other movies, this may be my least favorite. Although it is still decent and there are th redeemable qualities about it. Um, so uh, for Last Night in Soho is about a um, young girl named Eloise. She's an aspiring fashion designer. She's able to randomly, I don't know what to call it, uh, uh, psychologically, whatever, mentally enter, um, I, I guess, the 1960s. She loves the mm -hmm. 1960s. And she encounters um, a dazzling wannabe singer named Sandy. But all kind of other stuff starts to go down because, she, again, she can see, uh, again, kind of these visions of the 1960s. And in this movie, the way uh, the best thing about it for me, of course, is Edgar Wright and his camera work. He just knows 
how to try new things and have fun while doing it. Um, there's a moment where, I mean, there's it, a whole dance sequence and characters are changing. And I, the whole time I was like, ooh, ooh. And it kept doing it, but I never got tired of it. I was like, ooh, do it again. <laughs> because mm-hmm. that is a, that is just impressive filmmaking. Like you can't pick up a camera and just know how to do that stuff. You know, it's like you, 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 you really tried it. Um, but you know, it, last night in Soho for me was great for the first, how long is this movie? Uh, it's almost two hours. I think it's about one hour and 55 so minutes. So for, for about like the first hour, I was in it, I think. And I, you know, I was enjoying myself. Um, it, it was great to see, uh, of course, Anya Taylor-Joy, who, you you know, I love. Thomas and McKenzie, of course, is amazing. Diana Rigg is just, man, just great to see her, period. It made me sad, too. Um, but uh, this is a film, I think, that it's, there's glamour, there's giggles, uh, but again, halfway through, it just becomes this weird um, kind of music video vibe that I wasn't expecting. That uh, at first, I, you're like, okay, this is a creative choice. And then by the end of it, but it was like, just something didn't hit for me. It's just okay. And I, I don't know if it's a story. I, I think it might, part of it might be a story thing. I've seen a lot of it. I don't necessarily coming, but when it happens, I just kind of go, man. And I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. like, that's cool. Um, so yeah, it's a movie filled with beautiful visuals. Uh, it's a movie that, you know, it's, it's, it's gorgeous, but it's kind of a mess. Um, and it's really ambitious, but there's just something that just, it didn't hit for other Edgar Wright's movies. Like those other movies hit me like last night in Soho was just fine. And, um, yeah, man, I'm, I think I'm just leave it there for now because it, I, I still have, you know, thoughts about the movie in my head that I'm kind of going back and forth with. But yeah, at, at the end, it's just fine. Um, so yeah. You honestly kind of took the words right out of my mouth, really, with with all those thoughts. I I think that this is this is interesting because it doesn't really feel like another any other Edgar Wright movie. You know, yeah. when you talk about Baby Driver or the Cornetto trilogy um, or Scott Pilgrim, like these things all have a distinctive style that, mm-hmm. of course, they're their own unique experiences, but you can tell there's one filmmaker behind all of these things. Like, you can absolutely say, like, yeah, that's an Edgar Wright movie. And this one kind of goes in a bit of a different direction. Of course, of course, there's there's moments and, and key things that you can point out and say, like, yes, that absolutely reflects his style and sensibilities. But I do think that it feels um, somewhat distinctive from, from, from the rest of his his filmography and mm-hmm. this 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 is weirdly a a reminiscent experience of what we just went through with malignant um to be honest with you because mm-hmm. you can see with the 60s inspiration how much that that giallo inspired horror film aesthetic is a part of this movie just like it was malignant you know the yeah. use of red lighting and the production design is very glossy and there's a lot of psychological and, and thriller thrilleristic elements a part of it and I do think for me personally that this movie um, works better overall than Malignant, but it still is not. I, I agree with you that it would still technically be my least favorite Edgar Wright movie as well, because that first that first hour, that first, you know, hour and change even was was pretty good. And I was in mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed the story. And Thomas and McKenzie really felt for her character. She's out in this, yeah. you know, this new environment trying to meet people. But she's, you know, kind of an outcast. It was also a really weird experience for me because I literally just came from London. And a lot of the stuff <laughs> that was featured in this movie, I'm like, I literally just walked those streets like I was on Carnaby. Yeah. I was in Soho. Like, so seeing all of that was, you know, interesting. And also they were promoting 
promoting the hell out of this movie in London, which, you know, certainly makes <laughs> sense. Course. It was all over every bus and every building. But, um, yeah, all of that stuff stayed true and, and was really, really um, aspirational to what the, the look and feel of London is. I think you actually feel like you're there. You know, they did shoot there, of course. Um, but ultimately, I think about halfway through you see that the movie starts to expand its scope and expand its ambition. And I think that's just where it gets, it begets a bit, you know, it becomes a bit of a mess, you know, um, it, it more so dives into being like this full blown psychological horror movie, which it doesn't feel like that in the first hour, you know, it sort of mm-hmm. feels a little bit more of a mystery, um, a bit of a coming of age tale. And then it just goes into a completely different direction. And I just don't know if it worked. I think it was just kind of trying to, you know, serve a little bit, serve, serve too many masters um, yeah. and trying to be a little bit too much. Um, I do think it also could have been shorter, you know, maybe if the pace, the pacing was tighter, if it was a shorter story and just moved a little bit quicker, then it could have worked, um, which again was another similar complaint that I had about Malignant. You know, I think if these movies were 15 minutes shorter, the pacing would just help out tremendously to, to get us mm-hmm. to where we want to go. And then even by the end of it, I was just kind of wondering, well, what was the point of the story? You know, there mm-hmm. were some 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 really nice things to look at, the musical numbers, the costume design, the production design, all of that stuff was great to look at. And there were even parts of the story where I was I was into it. But ultimately, I was just kind of wondering, like, well, what is this for? Like, mm-hmm. what what's this movie really about? Um, because I felt like even Tom and, Thomas and McKenzie's character, like her being the main character, I felt like we lost that along the way. And she yeah. honestly was the one I felt the most attached to. So that was a little bit unfortunate. Um, you know, it's not terrible. I, I think that it, it could still be enjoyable. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people might really, really have fun with this because it does go into more wild and bonkers territory by the end of it. And it really builds up the tension to get there. I just think for me, it just kind of didn't work. And it was it was the tale of two movies. And I don't think those two movies cohesively meshed well, all that, to, you know, all that well together. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's just, yeah. I, what's, what's interesting is, you know, um, there was the other writer, Kristen Willis, uh, Wilson Cairns, I think is mm-hmm. how you say her name. Um, and it felt, you can just tell the parts that were written by her, which made sense, right? It's like... There, there's a very important story <laughs> so, uh, surrounding, you know, womanhood and what's happening um, surrounding that. And I think that and, and part of me wishes that she was a director so she could direct it. Mm-hmm. And then like Edgar Wright could just be on set, like helping every now and then, you know, uh, because I think some things would have translated differently um, because it felt like Edgar Wright was driving while she was in the passenger seat. But she was also kind of backseat driving. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of what the story felt to me a little bit. And we a lot of I think a lot of things got lost in translation between, you know, again, the two writings, uh, the two writers and the way it was directed. But I agree. I think people are still I, I know people who really, really, really like this movie. And I get it. I do. Uh, I think I see it. I'm, I'm going to watch it again at some point. You know, like I just I would like to watch it at home uh, with my own TV speakers and stuff. And I might maybe feel different. But again, for now, it was just fine. And I think that's OK, too. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, Diana Rigg, um, the late great Diana Rigg is in this movie, which I did not know. That was a complete surprise. Same. Um, Di- mm-hmm. Diana Rigg famously has most recently played Olena Tyrell on Game of Thrones, and she passed away um, recently. And it was just a pleasure to see her. I think she did. She had, she had a large role. I mean, you know, extremely large role in this movie. So was was pleasantly surprised to see Diana Rigg on screen one more time. So definitely rest in peace to her again. But yeah, I guess that's all we have to say about Last Night in Soho. Those are our thoughts on Edgar Wright's latest film. If you checked out Last Night in Soho, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. Let's go ahead and transition to the next movie that we have to talk about. Wes Anderson's 10th feature film, The French Dispatch. 
It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. We take as the subject of tonight's lecture, Mr. Moses Rosenthal. Certainly the loudest autistic voice of his rowdy generation. Simone Naked Cell Block J Hobby Room. I want to buy it. It's not for sale. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes. In short, the picture was a sensation. The kids did this. Obliterated a thousand years of Republican authority in less than a fortnight. What do they want? Freedom, full stop. I'm naked, Mrs. Kremens. I can see that. Lieutenant Nescafier is the great exemplar of the mode of cuisine known as police cooking. The aromas of the kitchen cast a spell, which was to be mortally broken. As you know by now, we have kidnapped your son. Foreman, one hour to press. You're fired. Really? Don't cry in my office. Now, as I mentioned, this movie's written and directed by Wes Anderson and is starring an ensemble cast of Benicio del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leah Sadu, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Lena Kudry, Jeffrey Wright, Mateo Almerick, Stephen Park, Bill Murray, and Owen Wilson. So, Wes Anderson has been one of the most celebrated filmmakers of the past 25 years. Um, he's definitely a filmmaker I very much admire very much enjoy so many of his films. I own all of his films on Criterion, and I'm, I'm really a huge fan of Grand Budapest Hotel. He's even done animated feature films, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which are really good. Royal Tenenbaums I really enjoy. So I was very much looking forward to The French Dispatch. And this movie is supposed to come out a year ago. We, we, we saw the trailer over a year ago for this film, and it was unfortunately delayed um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but was very much looking forward to coming into this new um, uh, Wes, Anderson, Wes Anderson film to see what he was going to bring to the screen. Um, and he's, you know, also one of the most distinctive filmmakers that, that are currently that are currently working today. Like you just know, you know, his movies when you see it, if you, if you can associate the director with a film, you can absolutely point at all of Wes Anderson's films and say, like, I know I know who that director is, because not only do they have a distinctive style, but they also all feel kind of connected in a way, visually, at least because he uses and reuses a lot of techniques over and over. And for me. The French Dispatch is now my least favorite 
Wes Anderson movie. Just how we just talked about Edgar Wright and Last Night in Soho being, you know, I, I guess our least favorite Edgar Wright movies. Um, this is now my least favorite Wes Anderson movie, which Jeez. is not what I expected to go on into the movies when I when I was anticipating seeing this. I absolutely thought that this was going to be another home run from him. He's made films that I either really like or just absolutely adore and love. He's never, in my mind, made a bad movie. And I, I wouldn't call this a bad movie per se. But for me, it just completely did not work on on almost any level at, at all. And, and that, was really, that was really a huge letdown for me. Um, the thing about Wes Anderson, again, as I mentioned, all of his visual quirks and things that he really implements throughout his movies they're here you know that this is still a Wes Anderson movie the shots are you know utilize they utilize incredible symmetry um he's still using flat mate flat space camera techniques um he's using the whip pans and he has a limited color palette and these you know multiple changing aspect aspect ratios and he has the big huge ensemble cast here like all of these things that are really significant and attributed to many Wes Anderson movies those things are here and they look great they're gorgeous this is this is exquisitely made as, as any movie can be. Um, in fact, like it's actually so well made that if you were to watch this movie and just like pause every single frame of it, you'd probably find like a dozen or more details in every single shot just because of how meticulous and how specific and attentive to detail he is as a director. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, for me, what this movie represents is something that just, that just kind of lacks a true story. Um, and the French Dispatch, if you don't know, this is an anthology movie that's actually telling three individual stories within a larger umbrella of what the French Dispatch is. It's based on um, a newspaper and a fictional, um, a, a fictional uh, French Foreign Bureau um, of, mm. of this fictional Kansas newspaper. And the editor-in-chief, I believe, of the newspaper, he passes away. And as a tribute to him, they decide to publish this new issue um, that obviously talks about his contributions to the French Dispatch and who he was, but also sort of retell three of their most famous stories. And so that's what the movie is. You get three individual stories. And that just didn't work for me, ultimately. I think that that formula and that format just didn't work for me because ultimately what ended up happening is I felt a lack of connection to any of the characters. And it all just kind of felt hollow because I couldn't I couldn't spend enough time with these individual characters and these individual stories. The one that I do like the most was actually the first one, which is called The Concrete Masterpiece. Um, and that one in particular stars Benicio Del Toro and Leah Sidhu. I actually kind of liked that one. That one was cool. It was easy to follow. But the subsequent two, uh, Revisions to a Manifesto and The Private Dining Room, I... I, I I feel kind of even crazy saying this, but I, I really felt bored and just disengaged the entire time watching it because mm. I don't know if it was the dialogue, which I think is definitely a factor. The dialogue for me was just difficult to follow a lot of the times. The actual point of the story was difficult to follow. And I don't feel like that these were actual characters, more so people that were just existing in their mm. respective stories and were just kind of following along. It's, you know, it's just kind of placing us in the situation and we're just following it along. Um, but I don't feel like an actual story was being told. So it just, it just made me feel disconnected to the entire experience and it became tiring to follow. And I just lost interest along the way because of that emotional distance that I felt to the story. And, um, again, that was extremely disappointing for me because again, the cast here is exceptional. You know, you have Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Tilda Swinton, Benicio Del Toro, I mean, the list goes on and on. Jeffrey Wright, Mm -hmm. Timothy Chalamet, some of the finest actors working, which again, that's no surprise when it comes to Wes Anderson. Literally all of his movies have incredible casts. So I Mm -hmm. I knew that going in. I knew the movie was going to look incredible and be just well made. And I I can respect and appreciate all of that. But the story is 
paramount, you know, to what we're watching. And I really felt disengaged and drained by the end of it just because of how uninterested I was in what was happening on screen. And for me, um, it, it might be one of the most disappointing experiences I've had in a movie theater this year just because of how much I adore a lot of his work. So I was I was let down by the French Dispatch. Man, it sounds like there's like a I don't know if existential crisis is the word, but I think the you know, there's an ambition as a movie, as a filmmaker to do something different. And I feel like it's, it's almost like these filmmakers are trying to chart new territory, but it's just not working. And I wonder, like, what that wall is that we're seeing that's happening. Um, but it's yeah, it's, it, it, just, it is what it is. But it's like it, it really is a thing like this year like, that keeps happening. So uh, I'm really interested to see. Yeah, it's a really weird space. I think with a lot of our favorite filmmakers, some of the filmmakers that we adore, they're they're at that point where their fame has been, you know, very much earned and and and, and acknowledged, and mm-hmm. now they're at that sort of crossroads where they they want to explore that new territory. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And and you know, ultimately, every single director ever in the history of Hollywood has ha- they have movies that either just completely don't work or that are just, you know, less favorable to audiences. No no director, no film a- filmmaker has a, you know, quote-unquote mm. perfect filmography. Um, there, there's always going to be those ones that are, I guess, considered lesser than, you know, in, in terms of comparing it to their other their other works. But um, it seems like we might be here for this, this Wes Anderson movie. We might have arrived to that point. But I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I kind of feel crazy even saying that just because I know there's a lot of people that really enjoyed this movie. It has really, really positive word of mouth and really positive critic and audience scores. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's mostly all been positive, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, this is something that I probably will have to revisit and just rewatch and just, you know, maybe grow, mm-hmm. grow into in the future. Uh, but based off of that first experience, it just, it just didn't work for me and that 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 is unfortunate so we'll have to see he does he's already working on his next movie called asteroid city he's already you know filming that in europe right now i believe Mm. so we'll probably get the next wes anderson movie a lot quicker than we did between this and isle of dogs it was about a three-year gap so i'm sure we'll have more from him come coming soon in the future so if you've happened to seen the french dispatch definitely hit me up let me know what you think about it and we can talk about it and that's it. We got for our, that's all we have for our reviews for this week. Let's go ahead and move on to the news of the week. We got some big, big news items that have come out. First up, we're going to talk about Marvel, Marvel Studios, as we do pretty much every week on here. Um, there's been some big rumors about upcoming <laughs> Phase Four films. Now, before we get into this, let's preface this that this is not this this news has not been confirmed by any of the major trades. Um, we haven't gotten this from Variety or Deadline or the Hollywood Reporter, but. These do seem likely, and so I think it's worth talking about because some of these things seem likely, some of them seem a little bit less likely, but I think that there might be some uh, there might be some good speculation here about what we can anticipate from Phase 4 of the MCU. So Geeks Worldwide is actually the source that we're getting this from. They, they, they wrote out a bunch of rumors and news of what's going to be coming from Marvel Studios in the next couple of years, and so I'll just run down quickly what we maybe have to look forward to. So apparently, a World War Hulk film will be starting production really soon, um, apparently next year, and it'll likely have a release window in the later half of 2023 or the beginning of 2024. That was reported first. And then after that, they reported other news that apparently a Thunderbolts movie is slated to begin production in 2023, as well as a Shang-Chi sequel, excuse me, Shang-Chi sequel. Um, Fantastic Four, we also knew that was coming, but new announcements um, with Nova and Okoye. Apparently, there's going to be Nova and Okoye movies that are also slated to begin production in 2023. So... 
we have some things here that we expected. I think a Shang-Chi sequel, we could have expected that that was going to happen. This movie mm-hmm. was very successful, um, very much well-received. We talked about it, sung its praises on this show. Mm-hmm. That's not a surprise. Thunderbolts, I think we've been speculating about just based on what we've seen in the shows and the movies and what they potentially could be building up here to yeah. Fantastic Four has been officially announced. So this report is basically just saying that production would probably start in 2023. Now, the new announcements are Nova, Okoye, and, of course, mm-hmm. World War Hulk. Um, yeah. Okoye would, would obviously be a spinoff to the Black Panther franchise. Nova's been long rumored as a new character that may enter the MCU in the near future. And World War Hulk, that has its own history because Universal Pictures famously has the distribution rights to the Incredible Hulk character. Um, Disney is allowed to make a Hulk movie if they want. They can make a Hulk movie anytime they want, but they can't distribute it. And because they can't distribute it, that means Universal wouldn't make all the money to a distributed Hulk movie. So why would Disney make a Hulk movie and give the money away? It just wouldn't make Mm -hmm. sense. But apparently that may have changed and we might not know something. So they're reporting that a World War Hulk movie might be going to production pretty soon. But uh, what here, what here in particular sticks out for you amongst these announcements? I mean, we, we see what's going on with Sony and Venom and Spider-Man. Maybe, maybe they just been striking deals. That's the only thing I could think of. Um, and the only weird thing about this World War Hulk is the direction, right? Uh, like it's hard to really get, everything out of world war hulk without changing a bunch of stuff because we already seen it in ragnarok um Mm -hmm. what i will say is i think this is a great opportunity for them to get back to the old hulk or the a more comic book accurate hulk where a lot of those childish tendencies that we did see in ragnarok that's a real thing like (laughs) that like actually happens and i i I really hope um you know we can bring hulk back to the forefront because of course he's an avenger but he's he's always been a sideline avenger and he's always been quiet kind of to the mm-hmm. side we know him of course we know bruce is really really smart but it's like where's the hulk bro like we all have been waiting like where the hell is the hulk um so hopefully this is hopefully this is you know true news and we really are going to get something like that um nova i actually did see nova coming from a mile away um <laughs> Just because it, it, bro, just literally go, y'all go Google Richard Ryder and you're going to be like, dang, this is an important person. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, It's funny, like how many important people there actually are that we haven't gotten yet. Like, you know, we talked about um, um Adam before, right? And now we're yeah. talking about Nova here and it's just like, yeah, this is like another person. It's like, duh, you would make a Nova movie. He's like one of the big pieces, that, you know, that are missing from the MCU. So I actually felt that one coming as well. Um, and then Okoye, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. If this is for real, for real, I'm excited, man. I mean, who, uh, come on. I, in my mind, I actually thought a Shuri movie was going to happen, but maybe that's what the new Black Panther is going to be. We don't know yet. You know, right. like maybe, maybe that's what ends up happening. Um, but to be able to have an Okoye movie, I mean, you already have an amazing lead in Denai Guerrero. Uh, I mean, the pieces are there. <laughs> already like out of out of all these in terms of pieces of course you got thunderbolts kinda but okoye is like the other one that's like you already have it like the foundation is there you just got to make it um so if this is a real idea that's going through man i'm really excited for it of course okoye we i know a lot about her because i'm a comic person but a lot of people don't know about her yet you know like right. there's there's tons and tons with 
uh, Ayo and Okoye and Nakia that like can be explored. Which again, I don't know what's going to happen in the new Black Panther, but there's a, there's a lot to happen um, if they decide to go to go through with this movie, man. So I'm definitely excited for that. Yeah, there's uh there there's there's plenty plenty of work to be done from Marvel Studios if all of these projects intend to be made and are true and and actually going into production really soon. I mean, just the the docket of stuff we're we're expected to receive is. It's just a ridiculous amount of stuff. I'm currently reading. Uh, they just recently recently released the the, the story of Marvel Studios, um, which is a full comprehensive history about their their first uh, ten years in, in in movie making in Hollywood with the Infinity mm-hmm. Saga, and it's been it's been really eye opening just to see some of the difficulties and challenges with production behind the scenes on on getting these projects actually made. And it's so easy to take for granted the stuff now that that we just live in a world where we're getting potentially a Thunderbolts movie or an Okoye movie and we're getting Adam Warlock and Guardians of the Galaxy or we're getting an Ironheart series. It's really easy to take for granted that this stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. And of course, not everybody's into this this stuff. It, it could be it could be a complete oversaturation of superhero films and TV for for certain audience members. And I get that because it's it is a lot. I and I do think it is too much. Um, but what I will say is that if all of this turns out to be true, or if even I don't know, half of it turns out to be true. I just have to admire the ambition that they have to to really tell all tell all of these stories and to bring yeah. all of these characters. And this is very much reminiscent of comic books. <laughs> you get mm-hmm. you get all of these stories about these individual characters off on their own side adventures, and you follow them along. And then you obviously have the huge epic crossover event that eventually happens. And Phase Four is already even at this point kind of the biggest phase that they've done so far in terms of the volume of projects. Mm-hmm. And it'll continue to be that. It doesn't seem like there's a an end in sight. Um, it looks like phase four might continue well into, who knows, 2025, 2026 wow. maybe. And Thunderbolts makes sense. I feel like they're setting mm-hmm. the puzzle pieces in play for that now. Okoye also makes sense. I mean, we mm-hmm. also found out last year Ryan Coogler has signed a big, massive deal with Disney to really expand and develop this world of Wakanda. They're doing a world of Wakanda television series on Disney+. Plus. So why not do an Okoye spinoff? I can see that happening. Nova, as you mentioned, one of the more important characters in Marvel Comics, has been long anticipated to have its own movie. Um, the one that I would be hesitant about to say that this may actually happen or not is World War Hulk only because mm-hmm. you have to do a lot of work to get there. I feel like I think that a you lot. have to do a lot of work to get, that's a very antagonistic and angry Hulk in that comic, in that comic mm-hmm. run. So I'd just be interested to see how we would get there, especially if production is quote unquote supposed to start next year. Obviously we have she Hulk coming soon, but mm-hmm. That's a She-Hulk series. It's not a Bruce Banner series, even though he will be in it. So how much legwork right. can you actually do for that storyline? Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that World War, World War Hulk won't ever happen. It could still happen. I'm a little hesitant and doubtful it'll happen as soon as what this report is saying. But I would love to see it, <laughs> regardless, because yeah. as you mentioned, we, 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 we should kind of get back to that, that old school, really intense, angry ferocious hulk that we're that we're used to kind of seeing in 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 the comics i'd love to get back to that so hopefully it does turn out to be true i'd be looking forward to it absolutely um we also just found out from marvel studios that bill murray himself has confirmed that he's going to be an ant-man and the wasp quantum mania he confirmed this to a german outlet called faz faz um and he's going to be in the 2023 movie from marvel studios um he just kind of casually said this that he never really wanted to be in a superhero movie but 
Peyton Reed, the director, reached out to him, and he really admires Peyton Reed. He really enjoys um, the work that Peyton Reed does, and we know that he's the director of this movie and the entire Ant-Man franchise, and so mm-hmm. now he's ended up with a role in the movie. Um uh, who who could he even be? Who 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 could Bill Murray be? Is he just <laughs> is he just a casual guy on the street that's just observing stuff? Is he a major character now? It seem if I if I had to hypothesize, it seems like a one off. I don't think this is gonna establish like a continuity of Bill <laughs> Murray appearances in the MCU. It feels mm-hmm. like a one off, but I just I, I just wonder who he would be in this movie. I have no idea. Um, he could be any kind of you know, Easter egg, the same way that Stanley was the watcher, the same way that we have Jeffrey right now was the watcher. He could be some random celestial in some pocket of the universe. I have no idea, but I think you're right. I think it's a one-off. I don't think Bill Murray is going to be like a super, any kind of super recurring character. Um, I, I guess the only, you know, the only part I'm interested in is how much screen time he would get in this movie you know right um because you can get full characters in a movie and then not have to use them you know like in in, in, uh anything else so yeah man i I actually have no clue (laughs) i'd also not be surprised if bill murray just played himself just like how he did in uh what was that zombie land zombie land yeah the first one the first one the first one he just played himself i wouldn't be surprised if he just did that again it's just like bill murray exists within the mcu like that could totally be feasible um but be that as it may bill murray complete legend i'm I'm very excited to see how big or how small his role will end up being an ant-man in the wasp quantum mania um on the dc side of things we have some news that just broke out of dc we found out that brendan frazier is going to be playing the villain in the upcoming batgirl movie that will be debuting on hbo max and it's reported that he will be playing the very well-known batman villain firefly in this upcoming movie um which seems like it's going to be on par and i think it will actually come come to life and be be true um brendan fraser is living in sort of a renaissance right now with his career um he kind of fell off the grid for a long time there he's been very open about his issues and troubles in hollywood and just things that he's dealt with personally um but he's really come back in a big big way recently we talked about him earlier this year he was in uh the no sudden move movie steven Mm -hmm. soderbergh's movie he's recently been you know very much involved with the doom patrol series also from dc and has gained some 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 new notoriety and new fame from that series and has been very well received in that role and now now he's apparently joining this batgirl this batgirl film that's going to be set in the apparently the dceu itself because we know commissioner Gordon, played by J.K. Simmons, is going to be in this movie. Um, so it's going to be within the DCEU continuity. But Firefly, Brendan Fraser, man, this is uh, this is interesting. I'm 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 interested to see how this goes. I've always wanted to see a live action Firefly. I've always kind of wanted to see that villain interpreted um, in a live action movie. Thought it would have come in a Batman film, but I think it makes sense to be in a Batgirl movie because it is one of the mm-hmm. it's one of like the C list Batman villains out of out of his mm-hmm. entire rogues gallery. Yeah, but I think a, a reimagining of the character can be really cool. The same way Polka Dot Man happened. Um, even though as, as much as we love the Riddler, you can tell Matt Reeves is about to do something completely different with Paul Dano. And I think here they have another chance to kind of do that same thing, just change. Because Firefly also already has been changed kind of because of that same idea. Everybody was like, dang, he's kind of whack. Only because he like used to mess with like lights and stuff, but now it's like he's like a whole thing, right? There's grenades and napalm and smoke bombs and throwers yeah all kind of stuff um and i i I really do think this is a genius uh villain to throw in something like a batgirl movie uh that kind of gives both of them shine you know it's like you you always need an important villain 
Loki, like in my head, most of the time I'm like, you got to think of the villain first. Like, mm. what what villain <laughs> is, are are you going to make for this project? So yeah, I think I think they just did it, man. Brandon Fraser is actually wouldn't have guessed it though. Somebody was like, oh, they're going to have Firefly. I wouldn't have been like, it's going to be Brandon Fraser. Like, that's not definitely not somebody I would have thought of. So that's why I think again, I think the reimagining is important here. I think it'll be hopefully it's as gritty. As we can tell, something like a Matt Reeves or a Christopher Nolan has done, you know, because because I think that's where the character is going to fit in the best. But we'll see, man. But yeah, it's really interesting to see. He, you know, Brendan Fraser has also displayed a willingness with the Doom Patrol role to 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 be in full costume and prosthetics and to like mm-hmm. really just dive into the physicality and the look of a role. And I think for the costume of Firefly, you have to do something similar. Like it, yeah. it's it's very much a a scarred and damaged character that's heavily, heavily suited up. And there's, like you mentioned, there's so many weapons and things that are going to be on display in the movie. So I think it it might end up being extremely appropriate. Of course, there's going to have to be some CGI elements to it, but I'm very much looking forward to the practicality of what a costume might look like. So yeah. it'd be nice to see like what a first look image or some concept art may look like in the future. So we'll definitely look out and keep out, um, keep our ears open for more news about Batgirl. Um, in other news, in the John Wick universe, we just found out that Ana de Armas, the star of Knives Out and No Time to Die, is currently in talks to lead a new John Wick spinoff called Ballerina, and this movie will be about a young female assassin who seeks revenge against the people who killed her family. So, female John Wick, we got it. It's very easy concept to grasp and understand. We know John Wick, spoiler alert, in the first movie, lost his puppy, and shit's been on ever since. And now, uh, Ana de Armas is coming in as a new, a new female assassin and is seeking out revenge. I, you know, listen, Ana de Armas is extremely, extremely hot right now, extremely coveted. Um, yeah. Very, very talented actress. She stole the show in No Time to Die. I think we can both mm-hmm. agree on that. And her performance in Knives Out was extremely, extremely um, well done. Didn't expect her to be essentially the lead in that movie, but she was. Um, mm-hmm. Really breaking out here and doing some. I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited to see her doing so much really cool genre work. You know, she. Yeah. She isn't fully diving into just being a superhero, which is like the easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. She's taking these other cool genre projects, you know, doing a, a detective story, you know, f- with Knives Out, being in a James Bond movie and now joining the John Wick universe, all different enough as well. And uh, I we, we've gotten even a little bit of like a hint at this this ballerina world in John Wick. I think it was chapter three. Um, where he visited that sort of uh, that 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 rehearsal that rehearsal stage of all the ballerinas and stuff, yep. and, and and had that moment. So you could tell that there's another world that's being expanded upon here in the John Wick universe. So definitely something to look forward to. Freaking genius, bro. I mean, it's it's simple, but it's still genius. Who after seeing No Time to Die, I part of me feels like, well, they were like. Are they going to capitalize off that? Because uh, if not, <laughs> we got something for her, You know right. what I mean? And this is what this feels like. And now, in my mind, No Time to Die can't do anything about it. Or, you know, the James Bond franchise can't do anything about sure it. Sure can't. They they have taken her away, mm-hmm. uh, which is crazy. Uh, but, yeah, man, like you said, she's doing an amazing genre. Even as the big woman she was in Blade Runner, you know, like the yeah, big, the big yeah, projection, the, the, projection, the holographic woman, holographic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, this girl. Uh, again, I just love seeing people who just like to try new things, or you know what I mean, like get out of their comfort zone. And I can tell she's constantly doing that and having fun with it, man. And uh, she really is amazing. So yeah, I'm happy we're here. I can't wait. I hope she gets. They should literally write this down. John Wick got how many bodies in the first movie? 
whatever. <laughs> like they should be like comparing. Like Ana de Armas has to get ten more bodies than John yeah. did in the first movie. Not the second. <laughs> Second's too far, too fast. But yeah. the first movie, she needs to get like ten more bodies than that, and we're good. Yeah, I, we 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 have to buy into the believability of her being a legitimate, incredible female assassin, and mm-hmm. I I think ultimately, if this movie proves to be successful, if people like it, we're gonna want to see them cross paths at some point. Like if she's a true badass, we're gonna want to see them face off. But they're uh, yeah. they're doing a lot of work here with this John Wick universe. We know that the Continental series is gonna be coming out uh, on Star soon. They're moving moving full steam ahead on that. Here we have a spinoff. John Wick is not slowing down any time soon. Good. So it's Good, good to see. <laughs> Love that universe. Um, we also got a host of new trailers that just dropped this week. The first one that we saw, Uncharted, is coming in February of 2022. We got our first look at, at the Uncharted movie. Uncharted is based on the hugely popular PlayStation franchise, the video game franchise, Uncharted, um, mm-hmm. which really, really did, it did you know, was it was extremely successful um naughty dog has been um has been very successful with that franchise ever since it debuted on the ps3 if i'm not mistaken and they've developed four individual games about that 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 universe and that character and this movie's been sort of long in development they've been talking about an uncharted movie for quite a while now it's actually happening starring tom holland and um mark Wahlberg as well and we got our first look at it um i think that this looks it looks fun you know i i have never I've never actually played the Uncharted games. I've watched like the cutscenes and the cinematics of like a couple of the games, but I've never actually played them. They've always yeah. looked extremely fun. Obviously, they have those, you know, those big influences with Indiana Jones and things of that nature, but you know, this movie looks I can at least say it looks very faithful to what the video yeah. game is. At least the spirit of it, um the look of it obviously. It's even recreating some of the scenes from 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 the video game if I'm not mistaken. So uh, PlayStation Productions, we know, is you know sort of moving really fast on developing a lot of different productions around their video games. We know that the Last of Us series is going to be coming out on HBO um, mm-hmm. at some point next year, if I'm not mistaken. But Uncharted, it, it looks like it might be, it could potentially be a, a, a big thing, and we might be looking at hopefully um, a successful mm-hmm. and and well received video game movie because we know we know how that can turn out sometimes. But I, I think based off the first trailer, I'm in for it. I I, I think it looks fun. It looks like a good time. Yeah, man. I think the goal here for me is like, uh, can you make it maybe not feel like a video game? I don't think that's the exact word I'm looking for. But uh, one of the big again, the, I think the only reason Uncharted exists is because to- Tomb Raider exists. Right. Like without Tomb Raider, Indiana Jones, could Uncharted be a thing? Um, and I don't think so. But I, I just want that want to make sure like we're in here like, oh, yeah, this is both the game and a movie. Like if you can convey those things, I think it's going to work. Um, plus because you have one of the charismatic people <laughs> in the world right now in Tom Holland, right? Like he's going to, he's going to give you what you need to give him. Um, the only weird thing about Tom Holland right now is he still looks so young to me. Like every he time does. I see him, I'm yeah. like, bro, are you still like 16? Like how <laughs> old are you, bro? Um, yeah. and, and even though, you know, he's in like these grown roles, like cherry, that was like a grown role and he still looked like, you know, really young to me. And the same thing with Nathan Drake, he's supposed to be like this, um, kind of bacheloresque guy, right? Like, you know, mid-20s, maybe late-20s kind of guy, uh, very adventurous, and he still just looks really young. Um, But, yeah, man, I think it's going to be a fun one, and I hope hope they pull it off uh, because the Uncharted series is is cool. I've never played them either. I've seen them be played, again, because I've played all the Tomb Raiders, so I didn't want to, like, repeat too much too fast, you know, in terms of the same game. Um, But, again, they're just as... uh, 
um, as as high in regard um, as the Tomb Raider games. Uh, plus, Tati Gabrielle's going to be in it, so I'll be there anyway. That's uh, also true. Looking forward to her being in it. Absolutely, man. So, yeah, I, 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 hopefully they'll pull it together. Like you said, Naughty Dog got a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're moving. They're moving fast on a lot of different things. And Tom Holland uh, might be working on a second franchise here outside of Spider Man. So we will see. That movie comes out February eighteenth, twenty twenty two. We got another trailer. Our first look at Pixar's next film, Lightyear, which we found out first about last year at the Disney Investor Day. They announced that they were going to be developing a movie about the human being of Buzz Lightyear. I think that's his name in the movie. We'll see. But about the human being Buzz Lightyear. This is not about the toy. This is not a Toy Story <laughs> spin-off per se. This is not set within the Toy Story universe from what we know. This is actually about the the human Buzz, the Space Ranger Buzz Lightyear in which the toy is inspired by and based off of. And so we got our first look at this film, which is going to be coming out next June and it was played to the tune of David Bowie's Starman. Listen, I know there's been a lot of talk about this movie. I know there's a lot of people confused. There's a lot of people that just are not here for it. Uh, I'm I'm totally in for this. I think it's a brilliant idea, personally, mm-hmm. to take a character that's been a toy in your own movie and say, like, oh, well, what if we actually made him a person and tell, like, a completely unique and original story that way? Brilliant. Why not? You know, it's something we're somewhat familiar with, but we also can get something completely new and different. And listen, it's it's Pixar making their version of a Star Wars movie. That sounds dope as fuck to me. Why wouldn't mm-hmm. I want to see that? So I'm like, I'm totally in for it because it, it very much felt like an epic Star Wars movie. And I think that they've even said that they've wanted to to really for a long time now make an epic space opera type of movie and pay tribute to just like a long history of of science fiction films that that, that have you know sort of inspired them to make movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done so sort of with Wall-E, which came out a while ago, another tremendous film from them. But I think that this is fully going for it. You know, we're getting a space ranger, a pilot, you know, in the galaxy doing, you know, whatever needs to be done. And, and it's utilizing a character, again, that's familiar, but it's going to have a mm-hmm. completely original and new backstory. And he's voiced by Chris Evans. And who doesn't love Chris yep. Evans? So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in for it. I like it. Yeah, man, I'm I'm always all in because it's Pixar, and I'm really biased with Pixar. I'm just like it's Pixar. Of course, I'm gonna go watch it. What do you mean? Um, but also, I'm like, I'm, I was a, I was a huge Toy Story head, man. Um, and seeing something again look as good as just the trailer does um, with with this Lightyear movie, how can I not be excited? Um, a lot of toys that we have are based off real things. Why not make a movie based off a fake real guy that the toy is based off of i think it's genius though right (laughs) Right. is that like really smart like in my mind they could follow this up with a woody movie about but it'd be like i don't know some random john wayne western do woody's roundup we saw the toy story exactly bring back prospector bring back jesse woody's roundup you got it right there it's there it's literally right there but it's like based off what is the the real woody look like back in Mm -hmm. those days you know what i mean in in that uh in that kind of Toy Story universe. So I think it's all really genius. Um, I also really used to watch uh, Buzz Lightyear Star Command growing up. like Underrated. In the, in the mornings, man. It used to be that. Lloyd in Space. Brace Face. I mean, it all came on together. Tarzan. It all came on together. Um, and it, like you said, it's a really underrated uh, cartoon. Why isn't it on Disney Plus? I don't know. They need to fix it right now because I seen the trailer and was like, I want to go watch Buzz Lightyear Star Command. And then it wasn't there. I'm really mad about that. Um, but yeah, man, I'm excited for Lightyear. I think it's going to be a beast. We get we get to see Chris Evans, uh, you know, do some voice work. 
which we, you know, we haven't seen a lot of, <laughs> you know? So I think, uh, I, I really do think they have something on their hands. I just hope it's as good as I think it's going to be Pixar, man. I mean, how often do they drop them? You know what I mean? Like the success rate is really high, you know, like everything, every now and then they have like, a Cars 3, you know, or a Cars 2, I mean. So, yeah. you know, it's just like, yeah, I, I, how can I not be excited? I'm, I'm, I'm ready to watch it already. It's certainly a character they want to protect as well. Like Buzz Lightyear is one of, I mean, yeah. that that's a pillar of Pixar. It's one, one of, of the first, first. characters, they, yeah, that they've ever <laughs> yeah. made. So I'm sure that they want to absolutely protect, you know, the 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 lore and the mythology around Buzz Lightyear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to your point about Chris Evans, he's also like super enthusiastic about this. I'm sure like a lot of his work is already done, but his excitement, ju- like his you know, genuine excitement that he's like just displayed on Twitter about this role. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, yeah, I'm excited about it too because you're you're extremely into this and like you you totally buy in. So I think it'll be a good time. Hopefully it is. Um, but as, as you mentioned, Pixar, most of the time they're, 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 bringing, they're bringing the goods to us. So we will see. Um, we also just got our first trailer for the next Star Wars series is going to be debuting on Disney Plus this December, The Book of Boba Fett. So that just dropped today um, before this recording. We finally got our first look at The Book of Boba Fett. We've talked about that show on this podcast before. We've we've been known that it's coming. Um, It'll be debuting December 29th, right as Hawkeye is ending on Disney+. Plus. We're getting this series. And it's sort of taking the place this year of The Mandalorian. We're not getting a new Mandalorian season this Mm -hmm. year. It'll likely come next year. They're filming right now. We're getting the spinoff with Boba Fett. And the character was sort of reintroduced to the world in season two of The Mandalorian, um, played by Tamara Morrison. And they did a lot of work there to set the character up and send him on his way for his own adventure. And it looks like a Godfather style or Soprano style Star Wars show almost. You're, you're mm-hmm. getting you're getting this hugely popular character in Boba Fett sort of doing um, and, and operating in the galactic underworld as, as this crime boss almost. And he's sort of taking over this territory from Jabba the Hutt. Um, I, I will say like this show, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm excited for it. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to watch it, of course. I'm not necessarily that excited for it. I've never been like a huge Boba Fett fan. Like I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily like somebody that's been into him. But I, I will say like what we saw in Mandalorian season two, my goodness, they did some <laughs> some dope, dope shit. Like he was yeah. murking niggas left and right. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. We're going violent, like let's do that. So I'm hoping <laughs> that that violence is continued in this show. I'm very much mm-hmm. expecting that if we're doing, you know, a criminal crime thriller type of show in the Star Wars universe, like they're going to try to push the envelope a little bit. So I am excited about that. The show itself, I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll see. But uh, you know, I, I definitely anticipate, you know, watching this to see how it all unfolds and and see how it further expands the Star Wars universe into the future. Man, I got to get used to this dude taking his helmet off. Um, because again, growing up, you don't, you just don't see Boba Fett's face. That's like <laughs> not a thing that happens. And now it's like a regular thing. Um, I'm kind of with you. I'm not like super excited. Uh, the, the part of me that was a Boba Fett fan when I was, I guess, middle high school, I like the aesthetic of Boba Fett. I've always liked Mandalorian helmets and like the way he looks It's just always been really cool to me. Um, so I'm hoping to get like some interesting, uh, uh, again, just visuals in Star Wars in general. There's you see weapons that we've never seen, shields, Wakandan-looking shields, <laughs> you know, that we kind of <laughs> see uh, here. And then he, at the end of the day, he sits on. In my mind, it's like the Star Wars version of the Iron Throne, right? Like that's just what it looks like. Um, so yeah, I think if they, to reiterate what you said, if we can get some of that violence. I mean, my boy was cracking helmets, storm stormtrooper helmets off, bro. I had never <laughs> seen that. I was like, "What the hell is going on?" Um, but if we if we can get some more of that 
uh, in this TV show, I think um, I think I'll be fine. I'll be okay with that if we can get some of that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Hope so. In another corner of the Star Wars universe, we just found out that Hayden Christensen is going to be returning to the Star Wars franchise as Anakin Skywalker in the upcoming Ahsoka series that'll be debuting on Disney+. Plus. This is another Mandalorian spinoff. We know that Hayden Christensen is going to be reprising his role as Darth Vader in the new Obi-Wan series that's going to be coming out next year. Very, very excited about that. But now he's going to be coming back as Anakin in this new Ahsoka series, and they... Think we're very intentional about differentiating differentiating the two the fact that he's going to be returning as anakin here mm-hmm. um wow who who would have thought how i mean i'm very i'm very paul rudd hot ones <laughs> in this situation like yeah. who would have thought hayden christensen having a <laughs> hayden christensen having new life in star wars i mean wow how the how the how the turntables uh, like what <laughs> What happened? Like Hayden Christensen really went through it as 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 Anakin slash Darth mm-hmm. Vader in that prequel era. I mean, was not that liked at all. I mean, got a lot of criticism for the <laughs> acting and just you know the writing and just delivering lines. I mean, certainly not one of the more celebrated aspects of the prequel um, series. And we know <laughs> the prequels have a big reputation amongst fans and mm-hmm. critics alike, but. My goodness, they're they're doubling down here. I, does does this say to you that there's something there's something to look forward to? This has to mean good things if he's coming back not not once but twice here. Like he's gonna be back as Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker. I, I, it just kind of signals good things to me, and I'm just I'm just amazed at how things have changed over the past you know ten years and him coming back into this role. Yeah, bro, it has to be some kind of. I don't know. I think every, maybe everybody's over it. You know, they talked it out. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but the energy is up in the Star Wars world. I will say that um, more than anything. But when I, when I first heard it, I thought of uh, you know how um, they they turned they turned Anakin into a Force ghost. Remember? Yes. And mm-hmm. I was like, and I was like, well, I wonder if they're gonna like change some things here. You know, to like either make that make more sense because everybody seen that was like huh or you know or they're going to do something to kind of undo it a little bit i don't know which one but that's like what i thought of first i was like huh i wonder if they're gonna you know switch some stuff up but i i'm excited to see him because even no matter what you think about him i i just used to like both love and laugh at like the things that he did right like i killed them (laughs) i killed them all (laughs) <laughs> slotted them like animals like i just love that stuff i think it's great uh even oh, though man. even though we laugh at it it's like that, to me it's part of the culture now it's like yes <laughs> i love yeah. that um so i'm excited to see whatever they have for him uh, here man i think i think this is uh this is redemption that's what it is like that's le- legit what this is uh and i i really hope they you know decide to go in a direction it just makes sense, and it's really that easy. And I think they already got it. I think you know, I it, you know, it's already said and done to them. We just got to see it. So yeah, man. Yeah, and, and for those who don't know, with Ahsoka, like if you've only seen Ahsoka in The Mandalorian, played by Rosario Dawson, like that that relationship between Ahsoka and Anakin that that was birthed in the Clone Wars animated series. Mm-hmm. That was deeply developed in that series. Like they were, you know, that she he was a Jedi and she was the she was the Padawan. She was the 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 apprentice in training. You know, so they have a very close relationship. So it makes it makes sense. You know, I think yeah. it does make sense. I'm just wondering what the context is. I'm I'm wondering if this may be a flashback, perhaps. You know some flashback sequences because 
I'm 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 assuming Ahsoka is going to take place around the same time as the Mandalorian, which would be post Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi, which mm-hmm. we would know by that point. Like Anakin is gone; he's dead. So I'm 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 wondering and assuming maybe this is flashback stuff, but who who knows? You know, the the Force Ghost piece you mentioned, there could be something there with that. So I think we'll just have to wait and see. But very much looking forward to what Hayden Christensen is going to bring back to that role. Um, in other news, HBO is back in a big way with two of their most popular shows returning on Sunday nights. Both Insecure and Succession are back on Sunday evenings, so you have been saved for the rest of the year. You have something to do <laughs> every Sunday from here until yeah. the end of December. Again, these are two of the most popular shows out. Insecure, of course, is in its final season. Um, this is this is season five. This is going to be the finale. Succession, this is season three. They just got renewed for season four, so it's already doing incredible here. But uh, we're, we're already a couple of episodes into both of these shows. I'm having a grand time. I'm loving yes. it. It's just it's beautiful yes. to watch one and roll into the other. Like I switched I, the first week I did Succession into Insecure and then I just kind of switched it up just cuz and like watch mm-hmm. Insecure first and then Succession. Like why yep. not? We have that option now. We can just watch them <laughs> either or that way cuz I'm I'm right. having fun with both of them. Um but Insecure is going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this con- season continues to develop. This is also a longer season than they've ever got. They're doing 10 episodes a season as opposed mm-hmm. to the traditional 8. So they have a little bit more time to to tell the story that they're trying to tell, and we're still sort right. of feeling out what exactly is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Succession dove right in from the top. I mean, they oh just man, picked up, they picked up exactly where season full, two left full off steam and, ahead, full <laughs> steam ahead. I mean, shit has hit the fan immediately. So I'm just yeah. like, we still got seven episodes. Like what? Like yeah. we're getting rated. It's it's just a it's a lot going on if you watch Succession. But yeah, man, it's a great time. It's a great time to be a fan of uh, both or either of these shows right now. Yeah, man, I'd be so sad when Insecure is over, even though we know Issa is coming with more content. It's just Insecure was when people talk about like cultural resets, you know, when people talk about like those moments in time that change certain things. Insecure was it. That first season of Insecure was like it like everybody was on the same page in a sense. Right. Like all the black people in the world, millennials specifically, were just like the, the world stopped and we you know, decided to embark in that world. So it's going to be really weird when it's over, man. Um, but again, I, I still enjoy these first two episodes. Like you said, we don't know what's happening yet, but the the the, the subject matter is so important, I think. Um, and I, I hope y'all having conversations about this because, look, there's some stuff to talk about insecure every time. Um, and yeah, man. So Succession 2, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. stresses me out. <laughs> It stresses me out. It is just so bonkers. Um, and the Roys are just such a ridiculous family. Uh, they, yeah, I don't, I, I imagine so many families being like this in real life that it's like, doesn't make any sense. Uh, but yeah, man, it, it's just such an entertaining and funny show. I, I actually laugh so much in succession. Oh, yeah. There's just so many laughs that I think oh like people don't understand that it's funny too when they see like previews and stuff of it. I'm like, y'all need to watch this <laughs> because it's it's really that crazy, but it's also complicated and there's layers to it. And I'm like, yeah, this this, this show is insane. So yeah, man, HBO's just really killing it. Yeah, firing on all cylinders. It's going to be uh big Sundays for them moving ahead and uh Again, these are two of their premier shows that are that are hugely popular. So um, completely different at that too. Like you're watching, you know, a, a story about young black millennials mm-hmm. living and moving throughout LA versus a show about you know rich corporate white 
people <laughs> who were very terrible a lot of the time. Yep. Um, very diverse stuff that we're getting from HBO. Love it. You got to love it. So can't wait to see how these shows continue to move and develop over the course of their new seasons. And also from HBO, we just found out that they just dropped a bunch of retro old school classic black sitcoms on HBO Max. They have added The Parenthood, mm. Hanging with Mr. Cooper, The Jamie Foxx Show, and In the House. I mean... Wow. These are some deep cuts, y'all. Like, hey, you, man. You got to really be into the sitcom game, the black sitcom game of the 90s to been in, to been in these shows. This is, uh, yeah. I wasn't expecting this, but I'm, I'm, I'm very excited that these are now available for people who maybe not have experienced them or just want to go back and revisit them. These mm-hmm. were some quality shows, honestly. The Jamie Foxx show, underrated. Uh, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, also yes. underrated. Like, I think that these are genuinely good shows that sometimes get overlooked. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. we have our more our more famous black sitcoms, you know, your Martins and your Fresh Princes and Living Singles. But, man, we were we were living in a special time in the 90s because we had an abundance of options that were just mm-hmm. like it was just a wealth of riches to see just like young black life, you know, displayed on TV. And that continued into the 2000s too. Uh, the, the the advent of UPN. We got stuff like Girlfriends and the Parkers and One on One. You know, it's kind of sad that we don't get this type of stuff anymore, and at least at it least is. not as often. Like we 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 get stuff, but it's just yeah. it's certainly nowhere near like what we were getting at this time. Um, and I think that's just a reflection of how things have changed mm-hmm. in front of and behind the scenes. But um, these are great shows to tap into, whether it's for the first time or if you just want to revisit and watch a few episodes here and there to to, to, to catch back up. Yeah, man, I used to watch all these because uh, again, I've, I grew up with older cousins, so they were always again when they're teenagers. I'm what elementary school, if not younger, watching this stuff with him. Um, and of, bro, Jamie Foxx show. I'm I'm about to go watch it like right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's just like my jam, man. Um, people, I, go watch these shows, y'all. Hang on, Mr. Cooper. The Parenthood are just so underrated. Like there's like real topics that they be talking about in these TV shows. It's like, dang, y'all used to talk about that back then too. Um, and also, you know, this is to add. Uh, Eve was already on HBO, I think. Like. People yeah. don't even know that. Like Eve was on HBO. Yeah, Eve and Fresh Prince, of course, were already on HBO. So both between HBO and Netflix and like Living Single and stuff being on Hulu, I'm like, y'all, it's there. <laughs> if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Cause these were these are really, again, important uh uh TV shows, specifically, uh again, all these are nineties. <laughs> yeah. You know, so so go go watch them, enjoy them. Um, yeah, man, just understand where we come from. Cause these are uh, with a lot of without a lot of these shows, uh, we might not have some of the shows we have now, right? Like we just talked about Insecure. Maybe Insecure doesn't exist without all the black, you know, sitcoms that we've been talking about as they reference them in the Insecure. Yeah, you know what I mean? So exactly, um, a lot of this is important, man. And uh, yeah, just go. You don't even watch watch the whole thing. Cut a couple episodes of each if you really want to. But it's it's all there, and I'm I'm glad. I am glad we live in this age where we can just. I just go to Netflix and watch the Parker. I can turn to HBO and watch the Jamie Foxx show. I can turn to Hulu and watch Living Single. Like that is crazy to me that that even exists. Like nobody would have guessed. So yeah, man, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. There, there was that moment in last season of Insecure when Issa brought on a lot of the you know famous like black women from black sitcoms in the '90s. Like, yeah, that was just a dope moment for her to pay pay homage that way. And. Mm-hmm younger generations and younger audiences can tap into these shows to see exactly who those characters were and who those actresses and actors are. Um, exactly. And definitely shout out to Robert Townsend with the, the parenthood. I feel like that was a show that was low key ahead of his time, like ahead was, of his time. It was really it was special. Really and he's also, he's a, he's a very underrated black creator mm-hmm. and talent. That's just done so much for 
just you know black representation in front of and behind the camera in hollywood he's an incredible creator so i definitely that's one in particular i'm super excited about to tap into so we will see but ladies and gentlemen that is all we have for this week's episode of two black nerds we are officially down and out thank you as always for tuning in we will be back next week to exclusively talk about the 26th film in the marvel cinematic universe eternals the long-awaited film from marvel studios which was supposed to come out last year which will be coming out this week we're going to be back to review it next week we're doing a full deep dive and spoiler analysis as we always yeah. do with these brand new comic book movies man this is going to be a big one this is introducing at least 10 new characters into the mcu that we've never seen before that we have to learn all of their backstories and histories too are you looking forward to eternals man I am looking forward to Eternals, man. Chloe Zhao coming straight off that award. Plus, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this movie critically. Oh, so, yeah. uh, we'll see what's going on here. I know, it, it, I know it's like some people, you know, veer away from it, but I'm like, ooh, I wonder <laughs> what's going on here in Hollywood. It, it, it make, it'll make for an interesting movie yeah yeah and probably even a much more interesting interesting conversation when we come back so again definitely look out for us next week full deep dive and spoiler analysis on eternals and we'll see y'all next time absolutely y'all with that being said we are out of 5000 and remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all peace I'm just getting money, leave the beef alone But I'm out here thugging in my teeth alone Throw up my set, they get upset They coming at me indirect, they sending threats I'm busting out life in effect, no internet I start to cursing like Tourette's, or like Shaq West shit, bitch. They on my head, won't break a sweat She let me hit it on the racks, then pop the brag My flow be broke just like some sex, but no protection Broke up with that hoe through text